Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you all my breakdown on the Oklahoma City Thunders preseason. How everybody did, kind of some storylines that you can take away from that. And I'm also going to be divvying out some awards in an award show format. MVP, Defensive Player, Rookie of the Year from the six games the Thunder had. It's a small sample size. But I do think there were some pretty big moments that you could take away there. I also want to talk about the Thunder moving forward into the season. They picked up Isaiah Joe as a free agent. They've gone through all their roster cuts. So I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about where some of the former OKC Thunder members have wound up through free agency. First off, guys... Last time I was speaking with you all, I was heading to Bricktown to cover the Thunder playing the Adelaide 36ers. That was game three out of six in the preseason, and I was really under the weather, so it has been a little bit there. I feel like I'm good to go now, so that's why I'm back on the pod with you all. But my apologies on that one. It was just one of those things where like, I had to play it safe, man. I did not want to deal with my throat. And my voice just killing me for another three days. So, played the safe route there. Uh, but there were a lot of good basketball games for the Oklahoma City Thunder. End up going 5-1 and one in the preseason. Only two teams played six preseason games. That would be the OKC Thunder and the LA Lakers. So, they had plenty of time to get some experience under their belt. Kind of tinker with rotations. Who works well with who. And I think that was honestly perfect for how this team is situated they are amidst a rebuild are they on the uphill I believe they are going into this season definitely have better members of this roster so being able to evaluate all these different rookies and all these different changing parts very beneficial for them the last games that I hadn't covered for you all the Adelaide game I was super stoked for to see Craig Randall and Antonius Cleveland Craig Randall torched up the G League last year as you all know I'm really big on the G League and you know I think in terms of talent that's probably the second best league in terms of teams it's not as team oriented probably so it's a little bit lower but they definitely have a a talent pool like no other uh, when you take the NBA out of the equation and Craig I mean he averaged 30 points across his stint in the preseason in this game 29 points for him. Antonius Cleveland had 19, but just not good enough efficiency. They could not hit anything outside of those two and then Robert Franks as well. So they took that one really pretty easily. And then their next game against Maccabee, a team in the Israeli Premier League, which Jalen Horde is in now, they took that one by almost 50 points. So they were just on an absolute tear. And then their final two games against the Pistons won that one by 16. And they round things out going up against the San Antonio Spurs, meeting up with Isaiah Roby yet again. And that is going to be the fifth victory for this Thunder squad. So really good, promising moments from just about everybody on this team. And I would love to just rank one through five. I don't think that really does it justice, though. So that's why I do the award shows. I've done this previously on the pods. I think this works best with, like, preseason, but I think you can also implement it in a short stint such as this one. So 
we'll be running through stuff like MVP, Rookie of the Year, Most Improved Player, and because there were so many good players, I think you can make the case in a lot of these different spots for multiple guys, and there could be overlap, but I, I choose not to do that. So just starting things out with who I believe the MVP was, that you can make a, a claim for multiple guys. Trey Mann is up there. J-Dub up there. I'm going to go with the safe pick in Josh Giddy, just because I think it's it slots in better because I'll tell you right now, Man and J-Dub, they weren't awards here. But with Josh Giddy, he just stayed part of the course, averaged about 23 minutes per game, put up 14.2 points, 6 rebounds, and 6.6 assists. With him, you know, you just want to see him remain solid as a playmaker, which should not be hard for him to do. He was so advanced as a rookie in that category. But the big thing is from downtown. And this is what was big for him. He ends up shooting 53.3% from distance. And he only took 15 shots. So you are talking him going 8 of 15. But that's still very impressive for him. He was not a three-point shooter at all last year. And as this team is built, either himself or SGA really need a bloom as a three-point shooter on the ball I think SGA is there Giddy is not off the ball uh SGA was there he he was still really good off the catch last season but not enough reps and for Giddy as well just not really the effort not effort but outputs were there so he needs to improve from three I think defensively if he's able to kind of tighten things up that is going to make this um, rotation and just roster even more interchangeable because he is a six foot eight guard, but he has that size of a forward. If you could have him consistently playing against threes and fours, that's big time. But he showed everything that was advertised in his first season and more. Lots of cross court passes, lots of really nice finishes around the basket. I think it was the Mavericks game where he strung up like eight of the first ten points or something crazy like that. So. He still has all that magic in him. And, you know, when you're starting this season out likely likely without SGA, obviously Dort came back. You need someone to take those primary reps. Josh Giddy continues to show that he can take that. And then when SGA comes back, he can plug in as that secondary playmaker. So I think in terms of like the foundational piece and who was, you know, able to pull a lot of strings offensively, you would give it to Josh Giddy. That's why I have him placed here. But as I mentioned, plenty of guys that could have gotten this award. And next guy in J-Dub, very well could have been that guy. He ranked second in rookies in terms of total points scored during the summer. Or not summer league, excuse me, during preseason. Summer league, he was still an absolute monster. Don't get me wrong. But he averages 14.4 points. 3 rebounds, 5.2 assists, and 1.8 steals. So, like, this is clearly MVP level, if you want to talk that way. But, man, just an absolute masterclass from him. Every time I talk about J-Dub and his rise, like, he was considered an under-the-radar prospect. He was evaluated as like a mid-second round pick in January 
continue to climb up the ladder and you know no one really expected him to be a lottery selection I had him mocked at 12 I had him evaluated around that range as well so in OKC took him I was sold on it you know I was talking to people going into draft day saying yeah the ideal situation is where the Thunder somehow land him because of how he plays because they need that fourth guard to go along SGA Josh Giddy, and Trey Mann who would plug in be able to play off the ball or on the ball well and be a really good passer that's J-Dub and he did exactly that he checks all the boxes and defensively he still leads this team in steals. Seven foot two wingspan. He's six foot six, hyperactive on both ends of the basketball, and he impacts the game in so many different ways. He ended up leading the Thunder in scoring for their final two games. Insane efficiency. He shot seven of ten in the game against the Pistons, and then in the capper. 21 points on 7 of 8 shooting, 6 of 7 from the foul line. Whatever is called of him, he's able to go in there and do it. And that's what I just love about what he's able to bring to the table, you know? One thing that we got here that is really, really valuable, and it's the most valuable thing I think we get out of him that might not be there in the regular season, is he was able to play primary one reps almost and he did this at Santa Clara but the difference is OKC has so many guys that can handle the basketball and you never really have a set in stone PG it's SGA of course but for a guy like J-Dub you know he's not going to be the number one guy when he's in a rotation he's likely the number two and he could be the number three depending on if two out of the three, as I mentioned, are in there. But it doesn't matter. What did he do in Summer League? He was a backdoor monster. He cut inside, slashed the basket, reverses, dunks, shoot it from the corner. It didn't matter. And then if he had it in space at a wing or at the top of the key, he could still create for himself and drive to the basket. When you have him now orchestrating in the half court, He was amazing. He's still able to find guys off of the screens, off of pick and rolls. And that is sort of the magic that this Thunder lineup has. Basically, all of their games, what are they doing? They go cross the timeline and they get someone to set a high ball screen for SGA, Trey Mann, Josh Giddy, whoever that lead ball handler is. They get a high ball screen and they just work off it. Lots of times you'll see box and one. Lots of times you'll see collapses from the corners going inside, and they have to make those adjustments. But that's how they run. J-Dub has proven that he's part of that system, so he already plugs into what works, but he complements the system way more than really anybody else on this roster already, which sounds ridiculous, but they need catch-and-shoot options at the two and three, and they really don't have it. What, who was their best like catch-and-shoot guy last year? I think statistically, you look at guys like Mike Muscala, and you look at guys like Isaiah Roby. Muscala's back. Roby's not back, but they're both front court. If we're talking specifically backcourt figures, it's guys like Trey Mann and Aaron Wiggins. J-Dub comes in with the background as a 40% three-point shooter last year, and he continues to stay consistent from range now did he lay a bit of an egg this go around 
slightly. He didn't shoot too many triples here. But when you're talking about the next step for him, what does his actual role look like going into the year? It probably starts with him playing at a wing or playing at a corner and using him as maybe a tertiary playmaker. If he's confident as that primary playmaker, and you already know he's dominant off the catch or cutting to the basket, he is the full package. And I have him as defensive player of the year, by the way. He's still getting steals. He's still making an impact on both ends. There was a GM poll that came out a couple weeks ago. J-Dub's already top five on that list of who was a steal for their selection. He looked like a top 10 pick in Vegas. He looked like a top 10 pick in preseason. Sam Presti hit a home run in selecting him. And I could not be more happy for just how this works really in the long term for what OKC needs. Because you're already looking at him really at his floor. Already does everything so well. When time progresses, he gets more opportunities. Very well could see him blossom into someone banging on that door of a starting position. And when someone goes down, he's easily the guy that could slot in and make some really positive stuff happen for this team. Continuing along... Already talked about Josh Giddy and J-Dub. How about that trifecta with Trey Mann? Put him at most improved player. I think that's just, just like the Giddy situation, it's just like the safe pick. But once again, Trey Mann could be MVP. J-Dub could be MVP. It's interchangeable, but this one just makes more sense based on the context. Trey Mann was a stud last year. And the end result of his rookie campaign was probably higher than what Teo's was uh, in terms of, um, you know, the bar, if you will. I still think Teo, after his rookie season, was expected to be the sixth man. He looked pretty good as a rookie. But now with Trey and with a little bit more development on this Thunder team where you know the direction a bit more... You kind of knew, like, he had six-man probably on his mind going into the summer. In Vegas, he did not perform the best. He didn't perform well two years ago either. Like, I remember against the Pistons when Giddy immediately got hurt. Trey Mann was just missing everything left and right, and people were complaining about it. Uh, But that's just kind of the nature of Summer League. Like, shot creators put up shots, whether you shoot 10 of 10 or 0 of 10, It's just up to kind of like luck almost, you know, just if you're feeling it that game. It's not as, you know, broken down and maybe mechanical as some of these other games can be. For him, though, really good basketball player. He can take over games. In the garden, he was just lights out with Josh Giddy back in February. Took that game to OT and won that one. And probably what I consider the best game of their season last year. But he continued to star in this preseason Lou Dort technically led the team he averaged 17 points per game but he only played three games Trey Mann played five averaged 16 points and three assists but he also shot 52.8 percent from distance taking over seven attempts per game he's a microwave folks and that's not new not at all he shot above 35% from three in general, and that came on and off the catch. Only player on the Thunder's roster to do that last year, to my knowledge. And that comes with reps, obviously. You know, you could talk about Muscala maybe shooting like two of four 
on on balls. <laughs> but yeah, like he was the go-to consistent option, and he still was that here. But because the dynamics are shifted and you don't have SGA, you kind of get that blanket taken off where some of these players that are utilized as maybe secondary options get those first PG duty reps and you get to see him go one-on-one, go in isolation, get those screens and operate off of them. You could put him in as a starting shooting guard and that's still a really good dynamic. Like, I heard on, on Down to Dunk, I think it was a really good comparison. They compared him almost to like an Anthony Simons type, where offensively just really, really gifted. Defensively, could it show some woes if it's SGA and Trey Mann there, potentially? But you know offensively, like Trey Mann is a starting level caliber guy, even as a sophomore for this team. Off the bench, when you give him more opportunities... You get to see games like this where he's popping off for 15, 18 points, almost like a Jordan Clarkson or something. Step back, still beautiful. Around the basket, still beautiful. He's so advanced when it comes to playing off of screens and playing in isolation. And that's exactly what this team needs. Uh, And, you know, you could say it could be redundant. I think that the way they've structured things, especially now with the signing of Isaiah Joe, they don't think that that exists they want to accumulate as many of these types of players as possible and Trey Mann sure as heck is one of them he can put the ball in the basket six foot five can play the one or the two you have to love it and you have to love his potential going into this season he's going to be the sixth man does he elevate to a starter I don't think that happens without injury but he most definitely could be in that conversation if you're going you know who's the most skillful guy to kind of slot in for some of these games and some of these matchups. But big, big second year coming in for him. I don't think it's really been a hot take that he was expected to take a leap, but um, he's living up to it through the preseason games going into the full 82-game slate. Rookie of the year, we'll just call it like a rookie sensation. I'm going to give it to Usman Jang. And... With Jang, I, whenever he was selected, it was one of those deals where you knew he was raw as a talent, and you knew the ceiling was sky high with him. 6'10", might even go up to 6'11 there, and even though he's a bit on the slimmer side when you're talking like, you know, maybe what the BPM would say, he still looks pretty big for, um, you know, his frame, and defensively looked good kind of selected almost as like a Josh Giddy type where he's a really good playmaker and after you know the final like five six games of the breakers he was shooting well from three but that's not part of his game you know he was not selected as a shooter he was selected as a defensive minded player but mainly as someone who could create coming off the screens which is Very interesting when you already have Giddy there, but you are swinging for the fences. That's what all these picks are for, and that's what Jang provided. In his initial Vegas stint, I publicized this on Twitter, and I think a lot of people kind of had the same idea of, you know, the way that he was being utilized, which was alongside Josh Giddy, basically he was in the corner looking for catch-and-shoot attempts, and that's really not his game, but he looked 
kind of like suffocated almost over there because he wasn't able to play his brand of basketball. He really didn't look comfortable. And because of that, I thought that he probably was going to go to the blue um, when the season started up in November for them. Whenever he got to play, you know, those backcourt reps where he was kind of a playmaker, he was actually really good to close out the summer league. Uh, But you still have to look at, you know, what is that role going to look like going into the regular season? Still had it chalked up as a G League entrance, most likely. During the preseason, he has looked very good defensively, which that already sways you minutes. You know, for instance, a guy like Darius Baisley, he has not looked good from three. Teams have sagged off from him, but because he has shown some upside defensively and he's done well on the glass, still has been warranting minutes. If you can play defense, you're going to get minutes, and that's what Jang had done, um, and he really did well during his five games of the preseason doing so, but also offensively looked really, really good. Averaged 11 points to go along with 3.2 rebounds. 47.1% from distance and small sample size, you know, it doesn't always translate over, but with the hope of Chip England, and if he's able to develop him and Giddy, that is very scary because he already has so many tools as a 19 year old. I don't know if you immediately move him down to the blue anymore, um, depending on how that three point shot goes. So I think you front load minutes for guys like him and guys like Jay Will as well, and see, you know, do they need to go down in the blue? I still think it would do him wonders. I think that you'd rather send the person down, let them get the reps in earlier in the season than later. Um, but I think now it's a bit more of a, a conversation to be had because I thought it was a no-brainer after Las Vegas. But he looked damn, damn impressive during those five games and rounding things out we have the comeback player of the year award basically another one that's most improved this one goes to Eugene Omaruyi and for him his story's a bit different he ends up graduating from Oregon undrafted looked really good for the Dallas Mavericks uh, last season ended up picking up a two-way contract because of how well he was playing in Las Vegas, but then he got injured. Season-ending injury, he gets waived, and you didn't hear anything from him. OKC scoops him up this summer, and he balled out. Is Eugene jumping out of the gym? No. Is Eugene going to wow you with his shot? No. I mean, he's 6'5 with a 7'2 wingspan, but he's built like a linebacker. So you don't get those highlight type of plays, but he is a very gritty gritty player and around the basket he looked amazing in the preseason one thing they need to take note of in preseason you do have the paint open a little bit more than usual but I don't think it really matters really good in terms of his touch and it wasn't just simple layup drills for him you know he was still having to sidestep through guys absorb contact around the basket and that's not even going into what we saw from distance he, he was a good college three-point shooter. He looked good for the Mavericks from distance. And now here he's shooting basically 35%, or excuse me, 43%. That's good numbers for him. He was game to game, 
just one of OKC's best presences. And he added four rebounds to go along with it, got in the actions in the steal department as well. So for him, he kind of came in as this like surprising two-way almost because he's 25 years old, almost like the Paul Watson Jr. signing from last year. But I can tell you right now, he is far different than Paul Watson. Paul Watson was signed with three-point shooting in mind and really three-point shooting only. Lindy Waters now has that role under that two-way deal. Look at Eugene as a flex. You know, he can play the two or the three. Defensively, he looked sound to me. But also, from all facets offensively, he was a plus. So there is a real chance that he could carve like a, a rotational role almost like Aaron Wiggins did last season. Probably has to start out in the G League, but very good player to have under a two-way contract. So that kind of does it there. You know, I didn't cover every single player on here. One interesting development was between Poku and Baisley. Poku was getting some of the starts there, so does that mean he will be the day one starter? I think he probably will. I think he would go alongside with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Um, when you get into all that, but it is interesting kind of seeing, um, how that is going to sort itself out because before the season started, when you had Chet, it looked like they really wouldn't be able to coexist. One of them wouldn't be able to have those minutes. Poku might've been the guy on the outside, but now when you have development in mind, you have Chet out of the picture and you have SGA out of the picture. Probably starting with Poku uh, with JRE actually makes the most sense for maybe the direction they're looking to go this season. I want to talk about the actual news surrounding this team and going into what that 15-man unit will look like for them going into the regular season. And for OKC, they basically had everything figured out following their mega trade where guys like Derek Favors, Ty Drome, and Teo Maladone were gone. But they got David Nawaba, they got Sterling Brown, who they immediately waived, Marquise Chris, and Trey Burke. And Chris and Burke were not with the team, so it's pretty obvious they were either getting waived or traded. No trades were found, they're waived. And then there's David Nawaba, who traveled with the team. I wouldn't say he's really a journeyman per se, but you know he's been around multiple different franchises, and he is just a very gritty, gritty player defensively he's always been pretty good and he still showed he showed up in in limited minutes I was impressed with him and what he was able to do Uh, whenever I was looking uh, at the game against Adelaide he stepped in and I thought that he was a good defensive presence he did not score too often in that game but he definitely got to the free throw line which is a big indicator I think I think if you're able to Generate contact and generate whistles. You have to be happy as a head coach. Um, But because of his age, he also gets waived. And I think there was a genuine shot. He could have been brought on as a veteran. But outside of the Thunder Realm, lots of different changes have been made to rosters. Roster cuts are serious. I mean, you are talking guys have been working months, sometimes years, to position themselves for a training camp contract. And then to be in the final group there. And high quality players end up being on the outside. It's happened to plenty of guys over the last couple days. But I think the biggest one. And the one that impacts OKC came out of Philadelphia. 
they waived Isaiah Joe and Charles Bassey. Both of these guys, very talented players. And it just really comes down to how talented this league is and kind of the directions of teams. For Bassey and Joe, you know, they're fairly young. Bassey was selected in the second round a season ago. And for Isaiah Joe, I believe it was two years ago. Joe's 23, Bassey, it's either 21 or 22. I thought Bassey was a steal uh, two seasons ago. I had him marked in my top 40 in terms of talent. I think I had him like 35. And Paul Reed the season before, I thought that they'd either go with him or Teo at pick 34. Because Paul Reed, athletic at the four, made sense. But I thought that Bassey would have that impact and he would be a standard contract guy for the 76ers. Didn't work out for him. He gets waived. Isaiah Joe gets waived. I thought that if OKC was going to pick one, it'd actually be Bassey because the Blue have a really good track record with centers. I discussed this on Twitter, but in the last two years, Moses Brown, Omir Seven. DJ Wilson and Olivier Saar. These guys are making NBA money now. And they came through the Blues system. Six months later, they're getting these types of contracts. You know? So that's where I would have wanted Bassey personally. He's an unrestricted free agent now, but they got the other of the two in Isaiah Joe. And I'm still very happy about this signing with Joe, 23 years old, 6'4, 6'7 wingspan shooting guard. And there's still a lot of talent on the table for this guy. Basically, the 76ers did not have minutes for him. And for OKC, I don't really know if there is a direct path right now. But with his player archetype, I think you could make some things happen to where you'd be able to see Joe come in in stints. It's a multi-year contract. He comes in with the 15th roster spot. And when it comes to evaluation... He didn't really play for the Delaware Bluecoats, which is a shame because I watched a ton of their games um, last year, but also he really didn't play for the 76ers. He was one of the last guys on their bench unit, and unless it was a blowout, he wasn't getting off that chair. You know, he was just filling that role, and I would say he did a solid job there. He is a a shot creator, and... OKC loves those. I kind of foreshadowed it earlier in the pod when I was talking about Trey Mann, SGA, all these different guys where they have so much overlap in terms of players who can play on the ball, play off these screens and play in isolation. Isaiah Joe is another one of those players. And is it to a lesser degree? I think you could say that, yeah. But he has a lot of moves in his bag. He is a very slippery ball handler. He's able to get out into his step back. He has a pretty good shot both on and off the ball. So that, for me, puts him in a category above what the Thunder previously had. Because the comparison is Ty Jerome and Teo Maladon. Let's go before this roster crunch. Who were the people that were in this? It was a four-person battle. One guy stays Derek Favors, Veet Crutchy, Teo Maladon, and Ty Jerome. Every single one of those four had a good reason to be the guy that sticks around. 
I think Isaiah Joe, though, for the context of this team, trumps Derek Favors, Teo, and Ty. With Veet, I think it's a bit more of a toss-up because positionally where Veet can slot in. But he's better than the other two backcourt guys in the sense that Ty, really good passer, assisted turnover ratios off the charts, and he can shoot the heck out of the basketball. But I think he thrives best when he is the guy who's crossing the timeline with the basketball. With Teo, I think it's even more so. You know, when you saw him play as a secondary playmaker, he wasn't at his best. If he's going to carve a role in the NBA, he's going to have to be an actual backup point guard. And the way the Thunder utilized him, and this is just because of how the roster breaks down, he was more of a shooting guard. Uh, this past season which isn't his natural spot so it made him putting up you know good outputs maybe on the slimmer side and you know I I think there's an adjustment period almost with uh, a player like that so for Teo he's going to be going to the Charlotte Hornets on a two-way contract I like that a lot more and it's because I think they actually could use a certified point guard um, whereas OKC, they are going for more hybrids. Tydrum has a two-way deal with the Golden State Warriors, so he is going to be in a really good spot. I think that he's actually someone that could uh, turn some heads in Golden State because he is someone who can shoot from limitless range, and they already have so many elite-level shooters there. I mean, that's a slam dunk. But going back to Isaiah Joe, you know, he is meant to be more of that two guard almost where these other guys were not. So he's another firecracker where he could pop off with points or he could just be a no show, but that's kind of part of what they're getting into here. So they're banking on potential. I'd assume this multi-year contract has strings attached where there's non guarantees, partial guarantees. So it should be fairly team friendly if the Thunder need to cut this off down the line, but this is going to be a really good opportunity. Um, Clearly, the Thunder had their sights set on him previously if they were going to use that 15th spot on him because of how valuable that could be uh, just based on all the young talent floating around right now. But that's a good pickup. Um, It still comes down to minutes, like, and it's very, very difficult um, because you have a guy like Eugene or you have a guy like Lindy where there's a lot of crossover. I think it would have made more sense to get a two-way center, but they'll be looking to kind of pan that out with Sasha Clay Jones at the blue level, I believe. And that kind of leads me into what the blue is going to look like this year. And I want to start this out by mentioning Justin Jaworski. He's playing overseas right now. He won a beer box for being game MVP in their opener. So he's already set a really high bar for his former blue alums but um (laughs) yeah I just thought that was something that that was something that kind of brightened my day off the timeline there going into what the blue is going to look like now though there was some roster turnover but they have some returning pieces two-way contracts Eugene Omarui and Lindy Waters are there to hold it down then you get into their exhibit 10 signings Sasha Kalei Jones at the five I think that he has a chance to be really good uh, in terms of double-double type production. Now, is he maybe as explosive as some of these previous players? I don't believe so in terms of frame. 
He's not at the same level necessarily, but he is a very good offensive rebounder, and that goes miles in the G League. So that's why I really like him at the five. Robert Woodard, the second, another very good rebounder, double-double type guy. He didn't really perform too well with the Blue last year. It was about a week and a half he had with that team. But if you're able to get him that footing, even though he's 6'5", you know, he's basically a linebacker, so you can move him up and down on that rotation. He's going to be paired with former second-round pick teammate with the Kings and Jemias Ramsey. Really, really high on Ramsey this year. No Xavier Simpson in the picture. Rob Edwards is gone. So really the stars you had in that backcourt have been torn down. So Ramsey now becomes a star of this team. And the way that OKC plays where they need a shot creator, they need a guy handling the basketball, might not be pass first necessarily, but definitely can get you a bucket. That's Jemias Ramsey right there. So I think he's going to lead this team in scoring. And he's going to be dropping 25 points probably consistently uh, just based on how he operates. But he's not going to be alone. And he might not even be playing strictly point guard at some points because they have their best passer in franchise history returning in Abdul Gaddy. He played in Vegas for the Thunder. He's returning with the Blue. And his last season with the Blue, he averaged 9 assists per game. So he is very smart with the basketball in his hands. If they're going to bring guys down, you want to have those constants that can put you in advantageous situations. Gaddy is that type of guy. So I think that's an overall plus. They also brought on Adam Makoko earlier in this week. Another guy who has a bit of a longer wingspan. I think he's 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan. Um, so he's another three and D type threat. I'd say he kind of fills in for what Melvin Frazier Jr. was in years prior. And then Scotty Hobson is also back. So you have some really good guys returning here. And I'd say with Hobson in particular, not only is he a veteran presence, but he's also a very good player who can drop 15 points in every single game and you don't bat an eye at it. So they have a really good backbone to this team already. I would assume guys like Jalen Williams, that being Jay Will, goes down. Isaiah Joe might go down. Usman Jang might go down as well. So there's going to be more than just this. We don't have a set date, but in in time, probably in a week or two, you have the G League draft commencing and OKC has three top 15 picks. So there's going to be more talent coming in. Uh, once they get ready for tip-off. I know that training camps have been going on, open tryouts have been going on over the last month or so, so they definitely have a roster in mind, most likely. We'll just have to wait to see all those dominoes. But I'm going to keep you guys updated with OKC Blue coverage. I'll keep you all updated with OKC Thunder coverage as they get into the regular season. If there's anything you want me to talk about in particular, make sure to let me know, and I will cover it on the pod. That's going to do it for today's episode, though, guys. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.